Hi, and welcome back to Cyber Reason's Malicious Life B-Sides. I'm Ran Levy. In some ways, cybersecurity is like art. There are so many techniques, type of vulnerabilities and tools, it's easy to get lost if you don't have enough experience to build a strong sense of intuition. And that's, sadly, not a good thing. It might give the profession a romantic aura of sorts, you know, the grizzled security veteran who's seen it all and such, but in practice, the lack of strong scientific-like basis often works against the defenders. And that's a part of what MITRE's attack framework, spelled ATT ampersand CK, tries to achieve. Make sense of the collective knowledge of the security community and share that knowledge so that cyber defense becomes less a form of art and more about using the correct tools and techniques. As MITRE writes on its website, quote, with the creation of attack, MITRE is fulfilling its mission to solve problems for a safer world by bringing communities together to develop more effective cybersecurity. In this B-Side episode, Nate Nielsen, our senior producer, talks with Israel Barak, Cyberism's CISO and a regular guest of our podcast, about MITRE attack and how it can help your organization stay safe. Enjoy the episode. Israel, what is MITRE? MITRE is a uh, non-profit uh, organization that is primarily doing uh, federal government um, contract work. But as part of their work for the benefit of the public, one of the things that they focus on is uh, bringing innovative standardizations and creating uh, publicly available knowledge bases really for the benefit of the community. And one of the areas of focus for them in that last couple of years is an example for that has been creating the uh, framework and body of knowledge called MITRE ATT&CK. Right. So tell me about the MITRE ATT&CK framework. What is it for people who don't know? The first thing we can, uh, we can we, I think we should look at is what are some of the questions or the needs that uh, MITRE ATT&CK sort of came to, to try to answer? Um, basically, it tries to answer a couple of, a couple of key questions. Uh, for for organizations, those are, I think, security questions that organizations sort of repeatedly uh, ask themselves, and we've always been looking for an effective framework uh, to try to answer those questions. So, so the first question is, how effective are my defenses? We're all investing significant time, um, effort, money in in building defenses. The first question is, how effective are they? The second question, uh, will I be effective in detecting a specific threat actor? So if I'm operating a business that is in a specific industry, say hospitality or uh, healthcare services, and I know that certain threat actors are known to target the, the industry that I'm operating in, then the question is, within the realm of threats in general, how effective will I be against threat actors that are known to target the industry that I'm operating in? 
the third question is going to be about the data that that I'm collecting as a defender, right? The question is, is the data that I'm collecting actually useful? So organizations spend time and, and money collecting and retaining logs and telemetry. And the question is, how does that help me uh, be more secure, right? Does that pay off? Do I need to change the way I'm collecting and retaining data? What is important data? What is maybe not important data or less important data? But that would be probably the, the third question. The, the fourth, and I would say I would say probably that the final question here that Attack is trying to answer is um, related to the products and tool sets that I'm using or considering to use. And it's the question is, is a particular product that I'm looking into going to really help me improve my defenses, right? Or when I'm looking at my current product set in my environment, do I have any overlapping tool coverage? So those are probably the, the key questions uh, that attack sort of came into, uh, came into our lives to try to answer. So those are the questions. How does attack propose to answer those questions? So attack is, is a knowledge base of adversary behavior, uh, basically documenting different tactics, techniques, and procedures. Um, in short, they're referred to as TTPs. Uh, that cyber threat actors use throughout a life cycle of an attack, starting from the preparation and, and reconnaissance work that adversaries do before the attack itself, all the way through getting initial access into a target's environment and through the different stages of the attack when it's inside the target's network until an impact on the target is, is achieved in, in forms like data theft or data destruction, denial of service, etc. So basically describing the behaviors, the techniques, the tactics, the procedures that uh, threat actors use uh, to basically drive a, uh, a malicious operation throughout its entire life cycle from preparation to impact. I, uh, I see the goal of, of attack as, as, as a way to progress field that was primarily a form of art, I would say, into a, a place where much of it can be considered more systematic or, or, or even scientific to a degree. I think uh, some key things to mention about attack are that it's, uh, number one, uh, based on real-world observations, right? So that means that the documented TTPs have been seen to be used by, by certain threat actors or, or red team groups. And the goal is to make sure the knowledge base is practical as possible. The other thing uh, that's worth mentioning is that attack is, is free and, and, and open for the benefit of the security community. Um, it's also a common language to describe techniques and procedures uh, used by threat actors so security practitioners can exchange information more effectively based on a common language to describe those threat actor behaviors. Um, and lastly, it's important to note that the process of maintaining attack as a knowledge base 
is very much community driven. So the community can, and when I say community, those are security researchers, those are enterprise organizations, those are security vendors and subject matter experts, but the community in general can share information about threat actor behaviors and tools with MITRE that will get incorporated into the knowledge base and, and shared across the community. You know, I'm on their website now, and to be honest, to the untrained eye, it kind of just looks like an encyclopedia. Um, so what is it that makes MITRE worth talking about? Why are we doing a podcast about it in the first place? I think there are a couple of things that make uh, MITRE attack uh, very unique. First of all, I think it's surely not the first attempt, but I would say the most successful attempt that the community has experienced uh, to date to map uh, threat actor behaviors. I think it's very successful in terms of its completeness. Uh, obviously, nothing is 100% complete, but I think it's very broad in its ability to describe different attack behaviors. The level of completeness is certainly much higher than what we've had, anything else that we've had in the past. Uh, and, and the other thing is the actionability of the data. Even though maybe at first glance it may appear to be an encyclopedic uh, resource, it's actually a very actionable uh, data corpus because it allows us to connect every observation on a behavior exhibited by a threat actor to the threat actor that is known to be using this technique and to the type of defensive strategies that we can take to improve our abilities to defend against that technique and also to test our abilities to defend against these techniques. So every uh, entry in that, in that knowledge base is very actionable because it can be translated to improving security defenses fairly quickly. Yeah, I want to stay on the point of comparing with other frameworks because I imagine that some of our listeners out there will have some experience with things such as, you know, Lockheed's kill chain. Um, so how does MITRE stack up? Does it fall short in any number of ways? How can cybersecurity professionals um, use this along with the tools that maybe they're a little bit more used to? What does the space look like overall? There are other frameworks that have developed over time that help us identify software vulnerabilities, help us identify indicators of compromise in the form of uh, IP addresses, uh, domain names, etc. that are being used by, by threat actors. But what's very unique about um, MITRE ATT&CK is, is the type of data that it, it documents. And that's primarily adversary TTPs. And I think the, the, the first thing that really attack helps us with, and, 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 and I think it's interesting to explore that, is really how it enables defenders to improve their ability to detect threats and measure how comprehensive their detection capability is. And, and to be more specific, um, that's, that's very unique to, to, to attack compared to other, other frameworks. And I often reference uh, David Bianco's uh, so-called the pyramid of pain, right? The, the idea behind the data that's captured in attack is that certain things that threat actors do are more or less painful for them to change. So for example, changing a file hash for a threat actor is trivial and cheap. 
So any detection strategy that is based on detecting known hashes can be trivially trivially bypassed by threat actors. Uh, same goes for IP addresses, uh, domain names. Again, they're very easy and cheap for the threat actors to change them, right? So, so repositories or frameworks that give us information that revolve around those so-called IOCs or indicators uh, is, is, is they're important, but oftentimes the, the value of their information doesn't help us improve or significantly improve or methodically improve our defenses. Right. But at the top of that pyramid of pain, right, the toughest thing and, and, and the most expensive things for threat actors to change are their tactics, their techniques and procedures. Those are the the behavior that they have, right, that, that were developed and, and refined sometimes through months or years of effort. And um, it'll take a threat actor significant time to change them. Now, uh, a detection strategy that is built on detecting these TTPs, and that's the foundation of, of MITRE ATT&CK, describing, cataloging these, these TTPs, a detection strategy that's built on detecting them gives us um, probably the best chances of, of detecting these threat actors over time. All right. So, Israel, you are a cybersecurity professional. In what ways does MITRE positively impact the work that you do? The uh, benefits that we get um, from from MITRE attacks spend a number of different areas in uh, in a security program. The first is the ability to improve our threat detection strategy. Right, it's basically about um, reviewing the different tactics, techniques, practices that are described in the attack framework and ensuring that our tool sets and processes are geared towards giving us the widest possible coverage across the set of adversarial TTPs. That means um, tuning our uh, threat analytics, right, and data analytics to ensure that we can we can detect these patterns of behaviors. Right? This means uh, improving our, our uh, processes for um, you know, threat hunting across our data to identify these behaviors as they're happening. At the end of the day, it focuses, or the first thing is, is, is to focus on improving our detection coverage uh, based on the understanding that threat actors leverage these different TTPs. The other benefit is uh, with improving the assessment process to identify security coverage gaps and basically prioritize engineering efforts to close these gaps. What we're able to do is basically, as part of our assessment process, we can use the MITRE ATT&CK framework to understand which types of techniques, which type of tactics does our tool set and process currently give good coverage for and where are we lacking, right? Where do we have gaps in coverage? And then understand how to, that we need to prioritize certain engineering efforts to close close these gaps. We can then tie it to threat actors and say, we might need to prioritize certain gaps over others because threat actors that are active in our industry are known to target those uh, specific gaps. So 
assessment processes to identify security gaps and prioritize engineering efforts is another benefit of using the, the attack matrix. On the threat intel side, attack allows us to ongoingly inform defenders on what specific threat actors are doing and how so they can take a more effective action to prepare against these types of adversarial behavior. And, and, and lastly, attack allows us to improve the efficiency of adversary emulation processes by basically, or in, in other terms, they're referred to sometimes as pen tests, right, or as red team activities. That's basically by giving us more context on how to emulate specific threat actors that are known to be relevant to our specific industry and really directly map the results of that threat emulation to process or tooling improvements that need to be done to better detect and defend against these uh, threat actors. I'd like to get a little more specific here about how MITRE plays into your day-to-day -day work. Uh, so can you tell me, you know, Israel Barak wakes up in the morning, has his coffee, goes into work, gets on his computer. How does MITRE fit in with the day-to-day task-to-task work of being a cyber analyst? Can you give me an example? So we can take an, we can look at an example that involves um, red team activity, right, or a security assessment. Um, one of the one of the ways we do security assessments is by choosing to emulate a threat actor that is relevant to our industry. So say we open up the MITRE attack framework and we look at the list of threat actors that are documented in that framework. And we look at the ones that are known to target our industry. And we, we say those are APT3 right, or, or, or FIN7 fin right, or APT29. We pick some of them that we haven't emulated in the past and then we build an adversary emulation plan we basically use mitre attack to understand which um, tactics techniques and procedures which tools these specific threat actors that we know are more important to us because they're known to target our industry which practices and procedures they are using and we build an adversary emulation plan based on that the emulation plan will basically create a simulated attack in our network that will use similar procedures, similar practices to what these selected threat actors are known to be or will be using in, in, in an attack or at least known to be using in, in their attack. We will then uh, ensure that we have our telemetry collection, our detection capabilities all set up and, and operational within the test environment, or if it's done in production, that they're already set up there. And we will execute that emulation plan, essentially execute an, uh, a simulated attack process that will progress and move through our test environment using these different procedures that are included in the emu emulation plan. Once that procedure is done, we will review what we captured as um, alerts in our systems, what our security operations center was, was able to see and triage in those alerts. And we would try to identify, since we know exactly the steps that the attacker took or the simulated attacker took in the test environment, we would compare our detections 
our telemetry, our visibility into what the thread or that simulated emulated thread did and identify areas where our alerting capability might be missing a behavior that the attacker performed in the environment, but we did not get alerted on it. Or uh, our telemetry might be missing, a behavior that the attacker performed in the environment, but we don't have any data source that allows our defenders to understand that, that that's what they did. We would then look at these gaps, right? all these areas where we had missing alerting or missing telemetry, and then use the MITRE ATT&CK framework to understand which data sources and which analytical capabilities are needed to close these gaps. So for example, if a behavior that involves certain type of command and control communication was missing in our telemetry, then what type of data source do we need on our network or on our endpoints to make sure that we have visibility into this telemetry? or to make sure that we have the ability to get alerted on that behavior. We would then prioritize engineering efforts to complete or address those gaps with process or tooling based on their prioritization. Uh, when you look at the, at the bigger picture of all remaining gaps against, against that emulation plan. So that would be a specific example of how we would use attack on an ongoing basis as part of a security program, in this case, as part of a closed loop adversary emulation plan. Malicious Life is sponsored by CyberReason. There is nothing better than a live simulation, especially when you're fighting cyber attacks that are becoming more and more complex. Defenders are always looking for the critical edge to reverse the attacker's advantage, and it's only through live attack simulations that you can truly see what might provide you that winning edge. Join CyberReason's global attack simulations to watch firsthand how attackers use the latest infiltration methods and execute on sophisticated malicious operations, and more importantly, how to end these operations before they happen. Reserve your spot today at cyberreason.com slash attack sim. Last question, when you were starting to get acquainted with the MITRE ATT&CK framework, did anything in there surprise you? Anything you haven't seen before? Anything particularly unique? Um, the content itself uh, wasn't a, a, a huge surprise to me. I, I uh, on, a, on a personal level, come from an offensive security background, and the different, or I would say many of the different uh, tactics and techniques I was uh, familiar with. But I think what was primarily interesting uh, for me to see is the completeness of the framework and how over time it stays current and keeps reflecting up-to-date information. So I think it's primarily about the fact that the, uh, the framework had started as a very, very valuable resources for defenders. And over the years, it keeps staying relevant and becoming more and more relevant and actually recently become, I would say, the gold standard very likely in the field of post-breach detection and, and, and visibility. So I think the fact that we are able as a community to keep this as a valuable resource over time, that to me, 
I didn't and I still don't see it as something that is simple or trivial to achieve. I think it's a major achievement of the community and a testament to Miner's ability to uh, organize a community around uh, standard work that is done for the benefit of the public. Oh my God. Oh my God. CK Music, 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 music.